been doing a series, guys, on uh, the family ties. Just how we're honoring, just to bring honor back into our homes, back into our lives. And so I welcome you. Just the thought that came about, about a month ago. I was in Charleston, South Carolina, and began to see some things within our society, our lives, our churches, that I believe we've, we've got to get back to the Word of God in our marriages, in our families, in our homes. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Remember the old thought, the family that prays together is the family that stays together. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, but I'm going to take it a little farther today. I believe also the family that honors God together, comes to church together, something happens, guys, and it's a good thing. And I encourage you to begin to make church a big deal. Not a little deal, a big deal. Where we begin to be excited about coming to church. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake the assembling together. And we ought to be up and ready. I don't want to see a show of hands, but I'll guarantee there were a lot of you yesterday. You were ready and you were fired up to go tailgate and watch the game. That's okay. Man, we ought to be so excited about the things of God. You know, right now in America, and this may locate you, the average American watches 45 hours of TV a week. 45 hours. That's between six and seven hours of TV. Now, you can either say amen or you can say oh me. My point in saying that is, man, our priorities are out of line. You can use all the excuses we want, but what happens when we would use all our energy and excitement toward that? And say, man, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to pray God. You know, in Proverbs 3, 6, it says, I'll Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he'll direct your steps. When you begin to acknowledge God in your, in your ways, in everyday life, in every area, God will bless you. Now, go with me to Hebrews chapter 29. Hebrews, not Hebrews, let's go to Isaiah 29. I'm close. Old Testament and New Testament. Isaiah 29. You know, she left here today. I was going to wish my wife happy birthday. Today's her birthday, and some of you are saying, well, how old is she? Well, you can ask her that. I can tell you right now, she is not AARP, okay? She's married to a man that is AARP, but she's not AARP. But happy birthday to her anyways. All right. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear or their reverence toward me is taught by the commandments, the rules, or the doctrines of men. That's interesting right here. We can come in as people of God and we can, we can honor Him with our mouths, but yet our hearts be far from Him. Listen what the message translation says here. They make a big show of saying the right thing, but their hearts aren't in it. I want us to know that being a Christian is more than a 30-second prayer. I think at times, guys, we've, we've limited to the things of God and we've, we've made people think that all they have to do is walk to the altar one time and say this 30-second prayer, and that's it. Why would he say this, though, that our hearts are far from him? I believe this, that God is at a point in his life where he wants to, to draw our hearts back to him. And true honor originates from my heart. Now, if you'll notice there, he said in the last part, 
and their fear toward me. True honor is an outflow of a fear of God. Where my fear toward God is above what I want to do, my interests, other people, anything. My number one loyalty has to be to Father God. It has to be pointed that way. Listen to what uh, Deuteronomy 5.29 says. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commands. Now, part of honoring God and fearing God is to obey God. It's not just with lip service. Look with me back in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and as you're turning there today, the last part of Deuteronomy 5.29, after it talks about the fear of the Lord, it says this, that it will be well with them and their children. Once again, guys, there is a reward when we honor and fear God. If you were here last week, remember in Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2 specifically, it says, Children, honor and obey your parents, for this is the first commandment with promise. And the promise was, if I'll honor and obey them, it will be well with me. This is the same well with them that's found in Ephesians 6. So when I fear God, and I, I look to Him, and I reverence Him, and the fear of God, guys, is, is beyond uh, uh, being scared. That's not what I'm talking about. One of the definitions of the fear of God is I voluntarily surrender to Him. It's a joy to fear Him. It's a joy to live for Him. If you ever had a father that you had a reverential fear toward, this is easier for you to understand. I had a reverential fear for my earthly father. You know what it was? When he told me to take out the trash, there was consequences if I didn't do it. So there became a fear toward him, and it wasn't an ugly fear. It was just a, a, a father that I understood. There's going to be some consequences. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34, Jesus' words, if you'll note here, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now think about that. Jesus' own words, I didn't come to bring, I came to bring a, a sword. What does he mean? And well, look what he says next. For I have come to set or to alienate a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you know what Jesus is telling us here? No earthly tie. Whether it's to your mother, whether it's to your spouse, to your children, can be placed above him. So he's telling me right here that this means that when Jesus becomes first in my life, there's going to be some things that are going to be severed. There's going to be some things that are going to be cut. There's going to be some dividing lines. In other words, you know what that means? You may not be invited to the family reunion this year. That sometimes you're going to have family members that are going to get upset with you. You know why? It's because of Jesus in your life. Actually, this same passage here, if you read it farther, it talks about even being salt of the earth. And salt loses its flavor. It's of no value. I believe Jesus wants us salty. 
Years ago, DC Talk sang this song, and it said, What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There's no denying the truth. And so look, at times in your life, you ought to rejoice that I'm, I'm more of God than I am of the world, that I'm going to place him above anything in my life. And you know what? In my own life, just a couple weeks ago, I had an aunt that called and told me that she had cancer, and they said, pray, pray, pray. And you know what? I liked it. I was honored for that. You know why? Because I realized in life, when life gets going tough, your family members will run to the one that knows God. Some of you got to realize, you're called to be the salt. And there may be some persecution that goes with it. There may be some name calling toward you. You know what? That's okay. I'm going to live for God. Now look what he goes on to say here in verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Think about what the cross symbolizes, guys. Persecution. You're going to have to die to yourself. There's some things. And this is Jesus' warning. And he goes on to say, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus begins here to raise the standard, the bar. Now I want you to go with me back into the Old Testament into 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And as you're turning there, we're going to talk this morning just a little bit here about honor and dishonor. Now the first one I'm going to bring you to is dishonor. We'll get that out of the way because we don't want to talk about that very long. You know, in my own life, I, I love to hear stories of people that honor God in every area of their life. Many of you have, have maybe studied Tim Tebow or followed him. I was reading an article on him just recently here. And it said this about him, that when he was a sophomore in high school, it became very apparent to his, his, his mom and dad that he had some incredible athletic ability. He began to be recruited by the colleges while he's a sophomore. Well, he was changing high schools. And his dad said to him, he said, Tim, I know football is very big to you, but I want you to know also the rules of our house, that number one, we honor God on Wednesday nights. We go to church. Number two, we go to church on Sunday mornings as a family. That is priority. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and tell your coach that you want to play football for him, but this is what's priority. That on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, I go to church. Now, ultimately, his high school coach, you know, when you see his physical attributes, he had to say, whatever you want, Tim, we'll do it. That he was that good of an athlete. But Tim Tebow said this, I thank God those were my father's rules. I thank God that I had a father that said to me, Let's put God above football. Let's put God. And God's not against football. God loves football. He loves football. There's no doubt in my mind. He loves football. He's going to watch it today. We better move on. I got some thoughts, but I better not say them. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And this is a part here that's talking about dishonor. And if you'll read, and I'm going to bounce in this, this chapter just for a little bit. Chapter uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt 
they did not know the Lord. Now, when it says there they did not know the Lord, this didn't mean they didn't know about the Lord. They knew about the Lord. They knew who he was. It means they just didn't fear him and they just didn't obey him. Now, this was a big problem. You know why? Because Eli's sons were the priests. They were supposed to be the very ones that would want the the other people of the church to serve God. But they were very corrupt. Now, keep reading with me. This is where I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip to verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard of everything his sons did to all Israel. And how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Now when you read this right here, this shows the condition of their heart, guys. There's ladies that showing up at church and these guys are taking advantage of them. You know what Luke 6.44 says? You'll be known by your fruit. You'll be known by your fruit. Now... My point in saying this, I believe, to start with is here, is that when the leader of the the church has no fear of God, usually the people will have no fear of God. I believe there needs to be a fear of God come back in our churches and the leaderships of our churches. That we live with a godly fear, a reverential fear. Verse 23, so Eli said to his sons, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress, or you make them sin. Now, when I look at this with Eli, he's their father. And he gets on to them a little bit. You know what he really does to me? He just kind of slaps their wrist. And instead of saying, you know what, boys, we're going to honor God, he allows them to stay in the position they're in. Look what happens in the next verse. If one man sins against another man, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not hear or heed the voice of their father. You know what this represents, guys? They had no fear. Their father Put them above the things of God. Now this falls back into even what we read there in Matthew chapter 10. That as the leader of my home, guys, I've got to set the example. I believe this is what our society needs to understand. There's consequences when you live in sin. There's consequences when we don't do what pleases God. Now look in verse 29 of that chapter. Why do you kick at my sacrifices and my offerings which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourself fat with the best of all the offering of Israel, my people? Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I say indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far it be from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise or scorn me shall be lightly esteemed or demeaned. You know what he's saying here? Because you lack honor. I don't know why that's doing that. Why you lack honor, why you lack fear, you pretend that there's no consequences for your actions. Now what happens to us as human beings? 
when a, a, a period of time goes on in our life and we don't think there's ever any consequences for our actions, you know what we think? This is how it's always going to be. This is how it's always going to be. I can keep doing over and over what I've done, but that's not true. I mean, God sees what we're doing. And when we don't live with a fear for God, guys, it's not good. Ultimately, you know what happens in this passage? Both his sons were killed. Linus and Hophni. Eli sitting on his porch in his rocking chair. And word comes to him that he lost both his sons. But even more so, that the Ark of the Covenant, which represent the presence of the Lord, it was stolen. And it says that Eli fell over backwards in his chair and he breaks his neck and he dies. You know what happens with us, guys? When we become a society that the presence of the Lord is left, that's not a good thing. When there's no longer fear in our society, and I believe that. I believe there needs to be awakening back in our lives, back in our homes, back in our churches that says, you know what, we're going to fear God. Actually, what happens here with Eli and his sons? I believe this is Isaiah 29. They, they talked the talk. They gave lip service, but they didn't walk the walk. They didn't honor him. Now look with me into Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter 22. When you begin to look in Scripture, there's only two places that God specifically acknowledged two men as friends of his. Now, there may be more than that, but there's only two men that he ever acknowledged. These are friends of mine, Moses and Abraham. Now, in my own life, when I saw that these two guys were referred by Father God as friends of his, you know what my thought was? I want to know what God wants or what he looks for from men or women that say, I want to be a friend of God. Just what is God looking for to make his friends of his? Genesis 22. Begin with me in verse number 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a test with God, many times you don't even know that's what's going on. That's what's happening here. He tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replied, Here I am. You know what that phrase there, here I am, it denotes his readiness and his fear of God. How many times have, have you ever sensed God wanting you to do something and you said, Lord, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. So you know what Abraham does real quick? He puts God as first. He says, Father God, I'm not going to lightly esteem you. You're first in my life. Verse 2. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac. Now he was the covenant son born to uh, him and Sarah, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. I want you to think about something right now. Every one of you in this room that's a father, a mother, maybe a grandfather, if your child was the child of promise, the covenant child, and God told you, I want you to go offer him as a sacrifice. My first response would be this. What did you say? 
Repeat that again to me? Are you kidding? Are you crazy? I mean, I looked at this. And in this time in, in Abraham and Isaac's life, Isaac is now 37 years old is how old he was. He was born to Sarah, his mother, when she was 90. Sarah is now 127. And actually, in this part right here, when, when Abraham obeys God and he's going to offer his son Isaac, it literally caused his mother, Sarah, to die. She died of a broken heart. And I think it rocked her world that her husband Abraham was going to take this son of covenant and say, I'm going to offer him to God because this is what God asked of me to do. Now, it shows me a couple things with Abraham. He honored God. He feared God. And he obeyed God. Now look with me in the very next verse, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose to the place of which God had told him. Now when I read verse 3 there, it, it tells me something about a man of covenant. A man that says, I'm going to live for God. You've got two options. I either obey or I disobey. And in, I, in Abraham's life here in verse 3, this is what really stands out to me. When God told him to do this, he didn't hesitate. He didn't question God. He didn't waver God. And, and, and this is what I begin to see. He said, Father God, if this is what you ask me to do, I'll do it. Now go with me way back into the New Testament, into the book of James, chapter number 2. James 2, and as you're turning there, let me fill into the blank a little bit with just what happened there. If you read the rest of that passage in, in Genesis 22 there, Abraham builds the altar. And he puts all the wood underneath it. And he bounds up his son Isaac. And he takes out his knife, and he is fixing to kill him. To say, Father God, I honor you and I fear you even above my own children. And every time I read that, I look and I think, do I honor and I fear God? Do I, I don't know what I could really truthfully tell you guys today. If this literally had to happen, I would hope I would do what was right to please God, but it, it locates me even in my own life. Do I honor God to this degree? Here's the rest of this story in James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works or show me your faith without your obedience and I will show you my faith by my works or my obedience. Now you know what it's going, going through here? And scripture will bear witness with this. Faith without corresponding action is dead. You can talk the talk, you can believe the things of God, but the proof of the pudding is always in the eating. And you know what that is? It comes down to how well do I obey. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even so, the demons believe and tremble. I want you to see that right there, guys. 
Even all the demons in hell, they believe there's a God and they tremble and fear Him. The difference between them is they don't obey Him. If you were to ask the devil and the demon, is there a God? They would say, yea, verily. We've seen what He does, but they don't obey Him. Now get what happens here in verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead or it's useless? In other words, you can talk the talk, but do you walk the walk? Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or complete? See, it would have been very easy for Abraham to walk about and tell everybody about his relationship with God. Woo, I know God. I'm like this with God. I'm covenant with God. But once again, this all falls under Isaiah 29. We honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. What separated Abraham as a friend to God? His obedience. The way he obeyed God. Now look in the very next verse, verse 23. And the scriptures was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. You know what I begin to see with this? In Abraham's life, remember God promised him in Genesis 12. He said, if you'll move away from your father's house and from all your loved ones and go to a place that I'll tell you, he said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. You know what the, the thing that caused all that to happen in Abraham's life? Not just what Father God said about him, but because Abraham obeyed. You cannot put your dreams above Father God. Even in Abraham's life. I believe when God spoke this over him, I believe Abraham began to dream of the very things that God said to him. But this would have never happened unless he feared God. And every time I read this and say, this is how he became a friend to God. Not only did he talk the talk, he walked the walk. You got to put a little walkie-walkie with your talkie-talkie. That's deep, isn't it? In other words, there's just a little bit more to this, guys. And the proof of the pudding is, is in my obedience. God is looking for a heart that obeys. I got one more scripture with for you. Go to, to John 15. John 15. Now I can say this at the point in my life, guys. It's an honor for me to obey. It's a joy for me to obey. One of the guys in the first service, the Lord gave him a description of what the fear of the Lord was. And he said, I asked God, I said, show me a picture of that. And the Lord showed him a picture of a knight dressed in all his, his uh, outfit as far as a warrior. And he said, he showed him bowing before the king voluntarily. This is an honor. 
And that's how I am. Guys, when, when I come in here and honor God, I, it's, it's a joy for me to try to live to please God. Have you got it down perfect crud? No. I still make mistakes on a daily basis. But to serve God, it's not hard for me. I enjoy it. You know why? Because the peace and the blessings that come with it. Now, I want you to look here in John 15, verse 14. And note real quick, this is Jesus' words. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, it's wonderful to run around your house, and it's wonderful to run around the church and say, I'm a friend of God, I'm a friend of God. But there's something you've got to really look at back in verse 14. And if you'll note there, it's the word if. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And the Amplified says, if you keep doing. When I look at this, I believe this is the friend of God. This is what God is longing for with us. And every time I see this, the fear of the Lord is birth or bred out of honor for the Lord. And when I honor the Lord, there's a reverential fear for God that I stand in awe of Him. That I want to please you. And I think we've gotten so out of order once again in this area that there's no fear of God. The greatest example, I believe, for fear of God starts in the home with the fathers. If there is no fear of God with the father, there's probably not going to be a fear with the sons and the daughters. When we put more emphasis on going to a football game than we do church, some of you are saying that hurts. You know what? I can watch a lot of football on Saturdays. But I'm going to be in church on Sunday. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to honor God. And I believe this is what's got to rise back up not only in our lives, but in our homes, where our children understand church is a big deal to daddy, to grandpa. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If you'll note in that scripture, that's Joshua 24, 15, it didn't say, as for me and my house, my wife says we better go to church. See, many times this is what's been happening, and I believe God is raising back up a church of people that say, we're going to honor you, Father God. We're praying for a fear of the Lord. Stand on your feet with me. So much of our lives, guys, has been out of order. That once again, I begin to see that when we honor God in our marriages, God blesses. 